Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 69, I could be immature about that, of the Coach Fury Podcast. Chris Cooper from AMP Training Center in Long Island returns, and we pick up our conversation on social media and the impact, positive or negative, in fitness. And we get into what we didn't have a time to discuss on the last the last episode, which is creating course material, presenting pros, con tips, uh, and potential pitfalls of um, putting together some coursework. And I, I think it's a cool one. We actually haven't dove into that type of thing in a while. So I'm excited for you to hear that. But before we go into that, there's some things going on in the world of Fury. So original strength pressing reset workshop this coming Sunday, that's January 13th at MFF Bowery. There's still time to sign up for one of the last like one to three spots. We're almost sold out on that one. Um, Not saying that as a a scarcity tactic, it's just true. January 26th, I'm going to be out at Southeastern, Massachusetts at Milestone Fitness for the DVRT workshop. Come and check that one out. And then the following week, I'm doing one in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Athletic Club, Larry Betts' amazing place in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. These are the four-hour DVRT workshops. Come check one of those out. So uh, Larry's is February 3rd, and the Southeastern one is January 26th in Mass. And uh, any of my uh, Boston area peeps, please hang out with me after that. I'm driving in that morning, but I'm going to stay that night so we can hang out. I feel like I'm always bouncing in and out of those really quickly. So come check out DVRT. Then the RKC, March 2nd and 3rd, there's about a spot left for that. We actually had a conversation uh, about trying to add more spots, but we're at physical space capacity for that. So if you're thinking about the RKC, that's the moment. The good news is if you can't get into this one or you need some more training time, it's not up on the server yet, uh, the server, the site yet. (laughs) Server sounds more tech. Um, The internet. But we're going to be coming back to Catalyst Sport in October, the last weekend of October. So um, you'll have another chance there. But if you want that last spot, get that last spot in March. And then the following week, I'm back at MFF Bowery for the HKC One Day Kettlebell Certification on March 10th. Folks, if you happen to just work at a gym and, and are not necessarily interested in being like a kettlebell pro or whatever, Um, But you work with kettlebells with people, especially gen population people, um, you should really check out an HKC cert. Uh, It is the place to really hammer down the technique and coaching and troubleshooting of the swing, the goblet squat, and the get up. Everything else gets easier if you dial those in. And quite frankly, some of the other stuff you're just never going to do with gen population people um, or not do often. But check out the HKC. So that's March 10th. then I'm still forming my schedule for April into, uh, into September. September's jammed, and October's looking to jam up right now as well. So I'll let you know when new stuff comes. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to heading to Oklahoma for DVRT and Original Strength in September. And again, like I just mentioned, uh, hot off the presses of the internet. Um, we're coming back to Catalyst for the RKC. I'm excited about that. And that is all in the world of Fury for right now. Oh, and I mean, of course... If you want to come down and take a class or do some online coaching with me, um, check out everything at CoachFury.com. All this info is at CoachFury.com, and we'll go from there. All right? I hope to see you or train with you in some capacity. If you've been listening to three or more of this uh, episodes of this show, do me a favor. Hook me up with a five-star rating. That would be awesome on iTunes. It, it does carry over into the algorithms. 
Uh, but I appreciate you just listening because this is uh, we're over a year in, uh, 69 episodes. No jokes about that. Uh, man, we're climbing up towards 100. That's kind of amazing. So thank you for being you. Thank you for being a friend. Episode 69, Chris Cooper, part two. Isn't it kind of nice, though, when it's that weird feeling of you really miss them, but it's so nice to have the place to yourself for a while? Yeah. I always feel a little guilty. No, I've never said it. <laughs> Although, I, I mean, again, I, I pretty much have this spot to my own, minus when clients are in now, so I'm home a lot. Uh, I'm home alone. <laughs> Fucking Macaulay Culkin in it. Macaulay Culkin in it. New commercial? He's got a new commercial. No, I heard he did. I heard it's, uh, what's it for again? Uh, Google Home. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts, and uh, it was actually really cool to hear him in his own voice. Uh, he seems wonderfully kooky yet adjusted considering his situation um, and has financially, you know, is in a position that he can do whatever he wants, more or less. And uh, yeah. it was really cool to hear because you always want to, like, you know, you hear all the bad stories about people that, uh, you know, lost their money and blah, blah, blah. And I think he might've had some parent issues. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he had something with his parents. And yeah. Sorry, McCulkey, if I'm uh, missing it. And I, I'm actually a big Kieran Culkin fan. He shows up in a lot of stuff that I'm a fan of, like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. Underrated movie. Dude. I think that is one of the top 10 movies ever created. I think it it's might be right now. I mean, I own the Blu-ray. Like, that's uh, Edgar Wright is one of the most brilliant directors we currently have running. Um, although I, I have to admit that I did not love Baby Driver really at all. Um, something about it that it's didn't sit with me. But Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think, is the pinnacle of geek cult geek culture. Like, it is the most well art artistically directed love letter to geek culture ever. And it's a great comic book too. It does the comic book super justice. I read the book before that movie came out. I never read the book. No, I it seems like I'm I'm looking for street cred on that. It's just is what it is. Um, but Edgar Wright, like first role. What was that? Is that like Michael Sarah's first like big big time? Oh no, I think that was just sort of like a breakout. He had already been in like a ton of stuff. Like I think Superbad after Arrested, Superbad was Arrested Development. I think development. Superbad and then Juno. He was the boyfriend of Juno, and that's yeah, like yeah. a I haven't seen that in years. But that was a gem of a little movie too. But uh, breakout role too. Yeah, Ellen, Ellen Page. Well, she yeah. had a smaller breakout on a horror film with Patrick Wilson, which I think was also a little bit of Patrick Wilson's breakout. Patrick Wilson plays the odd-haired um, bad guy in Aquaman. Uh, he is an awesome actor, though. He's in a ton of great stuff, including The Conjuring. I'm a fan of his. Um, but they were in a movie together called Hard Candy, and okay. it's where. Uh, I only saw it once because especially as a dude, it's hard to watch. You, I don't know if you'd want to watch it more than once. It's really well done. I think I want to say David Slade directed it, but I, I could be fucking up. Hey, guys, see, this is where the film major comes out. Um, <laughs> but it's basically like I think Patrick Wilson's character, spoiler alert, is trying to lurk or lure in an underage Ellen Page, and she turns the fucking rolls on him in a really gnarly way. Um, and I think that was her first movie, and then I think that came after, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, she went on to be kid. What's she kitty? Kitty pride, right? In the X-Men movies. Yeah. Um, well, a lot has happened since the last time I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, like four days ago. 
all of four days ago since the last podcast. And I will say this. So Chris and I, we spoke for two, almost two hours. I think it was almost the longest single episode I've had of the show. Um, I don't really pay super amount of attention to that. But when it goes over for an hour and a half, I like register. Not good or bad. I just register like, wow, that's going to be a long one. And I will say relatively quickly, because that one just came out on Monday and it was a holiday. Um, we're doing well with that one in my small world of doing well. So <laughs> cheers to you. Um, <laughs> my small world. <laughs> I don't expect an overflow at, at, at AMP. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, it's funny. Casey Lee, Casey, Casey texted me this morning. And Casey's another strength faction vet. Um, he's another one that off of Todd's, we, we spoke last episode, Todd, Todd's article started his podcast. We talked about it here. Um, three things. And he asked me about, you know, have I, have I reached out to anybody about, you know, sponsorship or anything? And, you know, I, I just, you know, the, the reality is, folks, it's like on an average of 250 to maybe 400 listeners listen to this show. It's really weird. And I'm sure it happens to everybody where, the newer episodes take a while to build up and cross like two, two fifty, and then like months down the line, they all end up hitting like three fifty. And then some of the more like known names that are on it. Uh, again, when I say known names, I mean way more popular <laughs> than me in any way. Um, those things will spike, and I just don't know if three hundred international listeners, mostly based out of New York and wherever Strength Fashion's <laughs> located. Um, it's enough to get a sponsor. You know, uh, I once just gave a shout out to pedestal footwear and, uh, you know, Mike was on the show cause we, he, he, you know, I just, uh, randomly like just gave them props like, Hey guys, great product. Um, I have been teaching and training in pedestal footwear now for almost two years straight, maybe, uh, maybe not two years, a year and a half straight. Um, I love their product. I just gave them shout outs, let them know that I'm using it. And then they talked about like, how can we work together? And we have a promo code. So if you want to go to pedestalfootwear.com, you'll get 15% off with the uh, promo code Coach Fury. Well, like I get free socks at a certain amount. You know, that makes sense to me. Um, being paid for like, you know, it's not like people here are going to be able to flush to something yet. Yet. Yeah. But one day, I know Casey and I both talk. I would love to be able to do this show like two to three times a week. Let it be a, a, a paying part of We talked about this a little bit last time. Yeah. A paying part of my income so that I could actually like travel to people, bring people in, have like a, a little bit more of a, I don't want to say proper studio. I don't know if I'd go that way, but like to actually treat it more like a, a thing and not a side project. Um, but that's a long ways off. Listeners patreon.com slash coach fury podcast uh it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com anyway uh happy new year what's your week been like how's 2019 suiting you back into the swing of things isn't it weird um, yeah it's 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 weird it's been like a weird week every day has not felt like the day it's supposed to be yeah i taught a couple of sessions and then i had yesterday off and then today was like i just taught my first class uh, are you feeling like the New Year's business booming a little bit? Um, I mean, our, our business is different than most gyms. I think we see most of our uptick in like March or April. Okay. I feel like the January crowd is more suited for like the bigger, bigger gyms, like for the general membership. And then people kind of seek out more guidance and support in, say, like March as their initial three month membership didn't work out for them. Exactly. <laughs> Where they feel like they can't do it alone. They need somebody to 
guide them, whether it's workout related or nutrition related, they need a little more, um, a little more step-by-step guidance. I never even thought of that as a, as a more of a boutique studio type deal that that would make sense that the big box is conversation with Todd. Um, I think at BSP, they still, they have that same kind of influx in like March. March. Yeah. Yeah, I never even thought, I guess people go for the cheap thing, right. And they realize it's not going to work and that they need more guidance or they're starting to get hurt or something. And then they come in. It's been really interesting. I've been getting like, I mean, not the equivalent of a flood of emails. Right. So, I mean, I don't get a whole lot of contact. So I just got like as much reach outs in the last like seven or eight days that I have, I probably get in like two months. Like I don't get a ton of new clients. I tend to retain a lot of people. Um, and, and suddenly it's like, you know, old ninjas are checking in with me, not just about themselves, but like somebody reached out about potentially training their son who's in high school. Um, one of my neighbors is going to be signing up. I had to actually create a whole new class package because he wanted more classes than I offer. Like he wants to come every day. I'm like, cool. I got to figure out how much that's going to be worth. <laughs> um, but I'm just stoked to have them. You know, it's real cool having the neighborhood business. I'll, I'll now have like a third of this building, almost half this building will train here, which is rad. You're going to um, be the, the neighborhood deli. That's it, man. The neighborhood deli fitness. Uh, I, you know, like I just, that, that I'm really pushing that. And, uh, well, I mean, not really pushing it in terms of publicly other than this show, but you know, I've been reaching out more and more with those postcards. I mentioned how I always go up with the postcard and, uh, I've been a little bit, uh, being braver and bolder, uh, about handing them out. And I'm not seeing any sort of direct things from that, but I actually feel real confident that this little mini surge is good. And my overhead's low enough where if I get like two new people a month or, you know, that stick with me for months or, you know, not every month, but like, I feel it. Like I feel the difference. So, uh, stoked on that. Like, you know, like one, one or two memberships or a couple of sessions that pays, uh, for put it simply like a credit card bill or my child support. And, uh, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to go in. So um, good way to start 2019. Yeah, man. And the, uh, OS has a good solid crew coming up for MFF on, on the 13th uh dvrt uh we're close to hitting our mark on that we'll see uh and then i just found out like the the new york rkc and i didn't teach one in new york last year is just about sold out they're actually trying to see if we can squeeze more people in which i I don't think we can uh but i'm stoked on that like we have such a killer team for that and uh and then we're going to be coming back in january so i i I gotta fill out I, i i like i never feel super confident about how my year's going to go until I have more courses lined up because I know some aren't going to happen because just sometimes like they don't fill up enough. Um, but I, I have like a really busy January, February, March, and then I'm not super locked up. And then September, October gets real busy. And then, so it's just filling in those gaps, but I haven't even, we haven't set up anything for Asia yet. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll do another OS in New York and whatnot. We got to figure out, here's the uncrackable thing, where to do, uh, this isn't a hint to put you on the spot because I haven't actually been in your facility, but like an OS course uh, or a DVRT workshop in Long Island. Long Island is a fucking hard nut to crack for courses. They yeah. tend to not do well. If the, the last The last course that we hosted that wasn't like somebody I knew like personally was animal flow and we had a hard time selling it really even animal flow. I, I feel like yeah. that's like a surefire thing. And we even tried to like market it as 
Mike Fitch's last like level one teaching because he was going to start doing all the level two, all the level two uh, certifications. So we tried to like really push it hard. Like it was the last chance to take level one with him. And I think we filled it out, but I don't, I think it could have been bigger. Did it fill out like the last minute too? Did you find that happen? I'm finding that's happening more and more, which is like, you know, for original strength or something great for an RKC, not the best way to approach it. (laughs) One of the weird, like one of the weirdest things is that is I like personally went from like gym to gym with, with material to try and like get people into the course and some of the like business owners and some of the, the managers were like, why are you sending me this? Like we're competition. Why are you going to invite me to something? I'm like, that's not really the, it's not what it's about it. It's not like what I'm, what I'm trying to sell here. It's so weird when that happens. Um, We've had, you know, one of the things there was a time a couple of years ago and I was talking to somebody that used to run a gym here and he was just, you know, feeling really defeated about all these gyms that are opening up. Right. And I get it as an owner. I, again, folks, owners, Chris, like I don't want to sound like disrespectful in any way to anybody that deals with the pressures of owning and renting and the bills, you know, my overhead is almost zero. So please I take, take what I say with a grain of salt, but you know, about like how, you know, the blink and the crunch and then this and that are all coming in. And in my head, I'm just like, well, you're not that. Just be the different thing. Like, you're not going to get the 200 people, you know, monthly signups that nobody cares about. You're going to get like maybe like, I don't know, three signups a month, 10 signups, you know, uh, a quarter, whatever. And uh, hold that thought. My food's here. Sorry about that. Okay. I was having this thing where I got caught up. Um, Finally been trying to do some upgrades to the kids' rooms. You know, we got them some nice new posters, uh, framed them. I wanted to get a shelf and a light. Kim set up her old computer in there. And I got caught up with work, like putting up the shelf and stuff. Went right into a class, right into a podcast. And uh, the kids and I went to uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child last night. How was it? Uh, dude, okay. So <laughs> it's a tangent. We're going to get back to what we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if you've read the book... I, I would suggest not reading the book and going to the show so you don't know what's coming. Well, it's not, it's not J.K. Rowling, is it? it well, it is J.K. Rowling. Um, she wrote the, the, this, uh, what do they call it? The, the, the screen book? It's not, the, it's not a true, it's a screenplay, but there's like a specific word for it, I think, in Broadway. Um, and it's a great story. And my daughter, we went like Barnes and Noble by us, had a like at midnight release party. And we got there at like 8 p.m. And we spent four hours full of with a bunch of other younger to teenage to adult Potter nerds um, with these activities and stuff and got the book. So by like, you know, lunch the next day, we had both read the whole book. But this was like years ago. And I've heard how amazing this play is. And it was so hard to get tickets. And it's one of my struggles with theater. Um, you know, especially after my time at MFF, I love the idea of theater. And I love the idea as a film major uh, of, of live performance. But man, getting tickets to the good shows not only are they crazy expensive, it's really, really, really hard to get tickets. So, you know, it took a, about a year or so when we got on one of those, uh, you know, tickets being released things, and we decided to do the two shows back to back. So you have to get there at like 1.30. The show starts at 2, ends at around, say, 3-ish, right? There's like a 15-minute intermission while you're there. Then you have about a two-and-a-half, three-hour break before you're supposed to be back to the theater, 
and then you're there again. So it's just a long time. And when you're paying like 200 bucks or something for a ticket, ours were cheaper than that, but not that much cheaper. You know, they put comfy cushions on it, but those seats, you're packed in. And, you know, it got hot. Anyway, so it's just like the, the, there's a physical toll of being watching a Broadway show that runs as long as a flight to fucking California, right? Like, you know, Sadie keeps talking now that, now that she's into anime, how she wants to come to Japan with me. And I was like, Sadie, imagine that sit times three. And let me know if you want to sit that long. She was starting to freak out a little bit at the end, just like getting antsy claustrophobic. But that said, there are a few in particular effect scenes, things they do in there that even with my visual effects background, I'm like, I don't know how they did that. Or like, wow, that was incredibly well done. The Dementors are breathtakingly beautiful and creepy in this. Um, and then there's this time travel thing where they use the time turner that I had to Google when I got home how the fuck they were doing that. I was like, I can't figure out how they're making this thing happen. Um, everyone's great in it. It's just, it was really long. And the first movie really, the first movie, huh? the first part really sets up all the fun stuff in the second one. Um, so I don't know folks. I would go see it. If you're a Potter fan, um, I would suggest if you live in the Brooklyn tri-state area, like close to the city, do it in two separate parts. If you're coming in from out of town, then I would muscle through and do them the, the back to back. Um, anyway, so that was fun, but, uh, I, I haven't really properly had food yet. And, uh, you know, part of, uh, the new year's resolutions or medical habits, uh, that we spoke about last time, uh, I've actually put into play, so I'm starving. But anyway, going back onto what were we talking about? We were talking about business leads. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the person, uh, you know, was real concerned that all these places are going to close them down. And I'm like, I just think, you know, I don't, I, I don't have like, I have an abundance mindset. I don't have a scarcity mindset where I know there's a big fancy, what's going to be a multi-million dollar CrossFit opening up literally two blocks from me. You know what? I'm not a CrossFit gym. I'm not going to be that thing. And that's not a diss on CrossFit. It's just a completely different approach, completely different attitude, style, music selection. Uh, 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 the similarities will be kettlebells, sweat. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some tattooed bald guys with beards there too. But other than that, like, it's cool. Like, you guys go rock. There's enough people in this town that if I am looking to build, you know, 50 people from my 20, um, you guys can go get 200, but your overhead's going to be like 90 times that. You're going to need 1,000, and I wish them the best. That's, that's just real freaking rough. Um, they're literally going into a new build-up building. So I think uh, when, when, when coaches or owners, especially when it comes to education, when they view you hosting a, a, a thing or me coming in um, to another gym as competition, it's, it's education. It's actually what would give you the edge Versus yeah. the other gyms more directly in competition with you, if you view it that way. I mean, who doesn't want their coaches to get better? And if you do, you're fucked. If, if, if that is your mindset, uh, Yeah. I don't understand that. I got to meet Mike Fitch. I've never met him. That's cool, dude. I've never done Animal Flow. I, I, I know it has, has some similar similarities to like, uh, what is now called ground force movement. I know it's its own thing. Um, but I think I had taken ground force movement used to be called primal move when it was part of dragon door. And, and I took that, I think three months before animal flow came out and I just didn't line it up. But I know a lot of my friends, uh, I know Kelly Murphy over at crunch is a big fan. Anthony Rend is a big fan. And, uh, 
Jin Takazawa over in Tokyo, I think, teaches the courses for them now. So, uh, oh, and Victor Ray is part of the Brooklyn Triangle of Strength. Yeah. But yeah, so I know Tristan Phillips has tried to have some like DVRT courses out and OS. We had a, a one out there. It's just a hard town. And I don't mean like a specific. It's like the whole fucking it's island. It's a hard sell for continuing education. And you would think with the amount of gyms that are on the island that it wouldn't be that hard of a sell to get people to come to one spot now do you think it's the this will for the for the long islanders out there uh, do you think long island there are certain towns as i've traveled to kansas city is a little bit like this where it doesn't seem that trainers value the continuing ed once they have a baseline versus can they at least keep up with their whatever you know uh national accreditation right um, unless it directly affects their pay. Like I know some places like there's a, it seems almost like a community type thing where like in this region, continuing it is like really like a driving force. And in others it's like, well, this is what we do. And this is just, we're fine here. Is that like long Island sort of you think, or is that too? Yeah, it's weird. Um, Which is, I feel like that's the direct opposite of as you move closer to the city that mindset kind of shifts a little bit i mean it must shift a lot i think if anything almost and, and you know taken for you know <laughs> looking at myself in this camera that i'm part of the thing teaching a lot of courses man in new york uh people take a ton and it's affecting everyone that's coming in almost though in a negative way because there's just so many options now you know that it's just no matter what i, I used to be able to try to like you know check out a few sites and see what was coming in when I was looking for a weekend, hoping not to collide with anybody, not just to not hurt my workshops, but also to potentially not pull away from somebody else. Um, but now it's almost impossible. There's almost always some two to three things happening. Yeah. There's almost never anything on Long Island. Let's, let, let's ask this. Cause we're going to talk about, um, actually continuing ed. That's, that's part of the goals of today. What is, what, what draws you to take a course? So if a new, a new chorus or sort of workshops coming around, what draws you in? What, what, what's your critical thinking process of that one's for me? So it used to be, so early on in my career, it used to be something where there's something that I wanted to do. It looked kind of cool and I could probably use it in, in certain ways and it, it might make the client experience better or more fun or just be like something new. Um, my mindset's kind of, changed to how can I utilize this the best or how is this going to make me a better coach? Like is, it, is it going to improve my coaching ability and then get my clients results in a better fashion or sometimes a quicker, quicker fashion? Um, but yeah. Like what, what's the return on the investment for it outside of it being like, a trendy thing to do in the industry or, or the uh, extra set of initials at the end or the extra set of initials. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I know, I think I'm lucky. One of the things that, that I, I lucked out about, there's some things that like, I, I don't regret anything in this like trainer experience. You know, I, I didn't expect it to happen. Um, but there's some things that would, I think would have been nice learning lessons for me that just weren't the way I came in. So like part of it is I would have loved to have spent a year in a big box gym 
going through that process early on. Although I got to admit, I don't think I could have afforded to. And I'm also clearly super grateful that I got my start at a place as awesome as Five Points Academy. And then, you know, to be able to move to MFF, like amazing. But I, I you know, I have, I, I work and deal with enough people, have enough friends at big box gyms that I think that would have been a valuable experience. I, I sometimes feel like I'm, I'm lacking a little bit because of that. Um, but as starting as a, a purely as a fan and as an enthusiast that actually had a, a little, a solid income at the time that I got into a lot of this stuff, I just thought, I just took the things that I thought looked fun or cool. Um, that I, you know, like there was no idea of like a trend or something. It was like, you know, once I found kettlebells and my friend Gavin Van Black showed me sandbags, TRX seemed like a next thing. Indian clubs, like those odd things, you know, I mean, of course I was looking at like sledgehammers and tires, although you know, New York, it's kind of hard to like rock that stuff. Um, yeah. So it was pure fun. And then I got to spend the time on it, you know, the application on myself and then would, you know, eventually teaching courses and all of that stuff um, just to see and feel the change to myself. So when I teach those courses or implement something like Indian clubs in class or whatever, um, you know, I could believe in what I'm doing because I have personally felt the, the the thing. And now, of course, we're eight and a half, almost nine years into this, um, you know, I see the difference, you know, I've seen it in enough people, not just myself to buy in, but you said something important that I don't think is viewed enough. It's that return of investment. And I know my, my, uh, my fellow OG brother, Ari Harris, uh, we talked a lot about how we both went to a lot of courses early on when, you know, trying to build up our, 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 our sort of fitness arsenal, Whereas we probably both could have invested more in like business classes or courses, um, trying to dial that stuff in. And I think there's a moment where people get caught up trying to outdo trainers, try to compete with each other, not just business to business, but cert to cert. Um, you know, in a gym that you're working in like trainer to trainer. Oh, I think that's, and I think that's like set up on purpose in a way. Um, especially when they don't have like in-services, you know, like the cool thing at MFF, somebody could take a course and then do an in-service and they wouldn't give us the whole thing, obviously, but they'd give us like, here's the cool things, a couple of things that would apply to the Ninja army. Well, right. Just a, here's a couple of little cool takeaways. Um, but then you end up with, with coaches. And I know I was in this position for a little bit where you could spend $10,000 in a year on continuing ed in five courses. And some people take like 20 and they're all usually between say, $200 to $1,800 and it fucking catches up real quick. Um, and you got to see why, you know, if it, if, if, if it pays off for me, that ended up being like my continuing ed, like that, that was my university of fitness cause I didn't go to college. Um, so for me that paid off, but I don't think I paid off my money of taking courses or assisting until probably like my sixth year in this field. So that was only like three years ago. Maybe I made enough teaching, to pay off that stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, I look at it two ways. Will it benefit my, nin my, my, my ninjas, my Fury crew? Yeah. Will it benefit the people I train? Um, will it simplify? And I still look at, is it, is it really fun? Like the May stuff that I've been posting and the Gata stuff, that's really been for me. It was just something, a break. I, I won't implement it in class. I don't have the room for it. I don't want to spend the gear on it right now, but for me, I'm really loving it. I also haven't spent enough time using it to see like a true return of investment on like a, on a bigger scale for other people, but I love it. But I know, you know, Kelly is bringing uh Kelly Manzoni is bringing out uh, a dude to do a Persia yoga thing with, with, you know, 
Persian meals and a Sheena board. And I'm fascinated by that, but it's an expensive course. I mean, it, it, worthwhile. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't an argument on prices. The dude's coming from Australia. He knows a shit. You should not be afraid to pay for like legend status. Um, but I just can't, you know, for the price, I can't, it's not going to change my business enough. It might make me happy, but then I got to work on paying off that thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't know, that's my critical thinking process. Yeah. And that's, that's where the return comes in. Mm -hmm. I think you also have to take a look at how long you've actually been a coach at the same time. Like I think I took the TRX course probably within like the first year, year and a half that I was actually training people. I probably would have gotten more benefit out of it had I taken it four years in, five years in, after I knew actually how to coach people. Yeah, that was the second thing I ever took. And uh, I remember it was the first one I took at a location other than Five Points. And I remember uh, I drove out to Long Island. I took the, and I took the group class one. And okay. it was fun. Um, the teaching style was uh, a little aggressive for me because I wasn't used to being in that type of a class format, which is odd from like a, there was a lot of like, keep pulling, you know, headset stuff. And I'm like, I'm from a Muay Thai gym. Like, I don't need you <laughs> yelling at me, like, you know? So, uh, and I mean, that as a member, I was still like, you know, not a, not a coach. And I remember like, it was, it was fine. But it's like, you know, I, I learned the basics. And, but I didn't have any sort of game changing experience and clearly like almost anybody could have gone through the course at the time. TRX, not a diss. Um, this was, you know, years ago. Whereas like, that's one of the things I like about an RKC is like, you need to train in advance. So there's some groundwork, there's some investment put into the beginning before you're showing up. That's why I like that DVRT has a clean and press test. So you're not just going like, Oh, I know how to use a sandbag now, as opposed to, I know how to coach a system. Because uh, TRX is a system. I mean, the implement's a thing, but there's a methodology behind it. But it becomes just like an exercise. I think I look at that too. Like, is this going to be an exercise class or is this going to be um, an approach? You know, is this going to have an impact on my philosophy or is this going to fill a slot on a program? Yeah. That, that's the other thing to take a look at when it comes to. Um, and then this brings us to what we were talking about. One of the things it's, it's not set in stone yet, but one of the things I approached, I had an idea while drinking with Chris and the crew, some of the strength faction vets, um, was maybe potentially, I think one of the things we can do, uh, as an add on to strength faction, I don't mean at an extra cost is talk about building up courses and presenting because there is a skill to presenting, to running a room, to being mindful of the clock, to engaging with people. In some ways it's like running a class, excuse me as I'm burping. In some ways it's like running a class and in some ways it's very different. Um, but I think sometimes that line gets so blurred that coaches freeze up a little bit um, or overstress about it. They use the exercise as almost like a crutch. Well, you're in your wheelhouse. Like, you know, you know, you could teach a class. It's just, but now it's like when you, when you flip, especially if you're going to, you know, uh, uh, trainer to trainer, coach to coach. Now it's like that whole imposter syndrome comes up. Oh yeah. 100%. You know, is someone going to call me out that like, I don't know what the, what the hell I'm doing anymore. Um, but I think it's like a, it's an art. And I think, uh, you know, certainly if you have somebody on like, you know, I look at a Josh Hankin or, you know, Dan John, uh, two of my favorites to watch lead a room. 
so there's two types of courses, right? There's like the pure curriculum based. We're going to talk and move and try like say like a DVRT course or, or an RKC or a kettlebell type thing. And then there's more of a PowerPoint type course that I think is actually a little bit more stressful in a way because it's harder to do. It's harder, it's harder to, to get in the room and harder to keep everybody's attention. Yeah. Cause people, I mean, what, what do coaches usually hate doing sitting, you know, and usually facilities aren't super well set up for that. And that's a tricky position to be in. But, you know, I think as coaches, we do, I think most of us get pretty good at the, at the, at the moving part and the coaching part. It's actually the business side that's usually comes along with the, with the more presentation based things that we could use more, you know, like when, uh, Fisher, Mark Fisher is an excellent example of somebody that can do a presentation slide based thing, you know, the business for unicorns, but with enough breakouts to find that, that middle ground where you stay and he's just an engaging speaker. It's very enter entertaining. It, it's a, it's literally, it's a performance. That's anytime I've seen Mark speak, it's like a performance. Yeah. And that's a hard thing too, you know, uh, uh, coming from MFF, trying to think in any way that you could live up to that. You just have to, part of the hard part is just like fully embracing your personality on these things and knowing that you might turn off. Like if there's 10 people in there, you might turn off two. You might totally turn on two. And then the other eight might be middle of the road or have a good experience. And, and that's kind of like, you got to get kind of get comfortable with that. But then also like reevaluate what did you do good in that last one that worked? And what did you do that you know you could do better at? And that's, a, that's sometimes really hard feedback to take. Yeah. Um, but it's an important one. I know for OS, as a lead instructor, one of my responsibilities is if somebody's assisting me and they have very specific stages of assisting, um, sometimes it's truly closer to co-leading. Um, and potentially what I have an impact might impact if somebody gets promoted to instructor, which is, you know, stressful, but it's a responsibility that I take, you know, very seriously. So at the end of a course, like I give feedback to whoever's assisting me, uh, and then I have to share that with, you know, the, the heads of OS. Um, but I'm not talking anything behind somebody's back. Everything I will tell them is something that I would have spoken to them. And I also critique myself. And like this last Taiwan, uh, RKC and HKC, uh, well, RKC, Patrick Heckelman, like we went back and forth with like things that we could work on. And it's the way you get better. But yeah. when it comes to presenting, people are really rough sometimes about taking feedback that way. So folks that are thinking about coming up with the course or wanting to get in front of the room. It's just like recertifying to assist at a, at a kettlebell cert or something. You have to be prepared for the constructive feedback. Um, you don't want to necessarily hear negative feedback or somebody shit talking to you, but you got to be open to be like, you, you might've felt like you just ran the room. Um, but you might've like really shit the bed pretty big that time. Was, on that was the last thing I saw Mark speak about was feedback. Yeah. Oh, were you here? Like, that was like not that long ago, right? That was in, it was in Kansas City um, in May. Yeah, you have to be you have to be open to hearing it, and and the hard part is filtering what's what's true or not true or false because it's all perception. But like, what what is what is actually changeable? Like, I've had feedback in a course where you know just recently a, a lot of people didn't pass their snatch test because you know it was the only it went three months. It was only three months time from the thing being listed to the, to the time. And most of the attendees being in Taiwan, there weren't a lot of people training them. There weren't a lot of people that knew good techniques. So a lot of these people were learning snatches just for the first time, you know, 
at the course, oh, okay. which is not what, you know, you don't go into a snatch test. That's like, you know, um, really bold and they were really brave and showed a lot of heart and there was great progress, but you know, pretty much almost everyone, you know, failed at the moment and they're all training now to pass it, which is good because they're going to spend the time now to get good at these things that they learned. But one of the co-hosts was like, yeah, you know, the, the, the feedback was, yeah, you know, it's, an, it's unfortunate that the, the vibe changed the second half of day one because of that test. And I'm like, yeah, but we, there's nothing we could have changed in the curriculum or when we took the test because they just learned it. Like you have to have time to practice and get strong. Like there's nothing that could be changed. So there's this gauge in curriculum where you're like, could it have been better? Maybe, but for this case, it wasn't. Are you willing to change the curriculum to suit the, well, you would have had to remove the snatch you have, test. You have to remove the test. Yeah. And you're not going to change. No. So, so one class. Yeah. So, the, you know, that's one end of it. But then sometimes somebody, you know, uh, I'll say, you know, we talked about, you know, language on the last episode. And I know at, at a course, I use the phrase, you know, I, I think it was in, you know, in terms of giving feedback, sometimes you have to be not harsh, but like give honest feedback. And I use, I use the phrase, but don't be a dick which I don't see that as a thing, but apparently someone was one person in the room was really offended and actually went to one of my bosses. And, uh, you know, I, I heard a week later about like, Oh, but you know, please don't use that phrase again. And I just don't see that. You know, it's not like I'm throwing that word out all the time, but in the context, I'm like, it didn't seem like anything, but I can also not use that phrase, right? Like it's not a make it or break it phrase. So those are the moments that I have to, um, you know, think about, I know, you know, Tony Genocore over the course of the last year got caught up in like one or two things where it seemed pretty innocuous from my point of view and turned into a lot of uh, Facebook debate just on the use of a picture or a joke or something. Yeah. I thought was real for, for me, like didn't seem like a thing at all, but you never know who you're going to potentially offend. Um, and I don't take that lightly. I don't want to people think I'm not, but like, there has to be a point where if 99% of the room is laughing and it's not targeted directly at that one person, it's just that one person's point of view. Like, is it less valid? No. But does that mean that the whole thing was wrong? Cause that's judging that those other 99% of people had the same shitty idea or intent. Right. Does that make sense? It goes back to intent. Like we talked about last time. So language is a big thing that I try to watch out for now. Um, I know when it comes to hands-on cueing and, and, and positions of where I'll cue stuff, I'm super mindful now. I mean, I've always been overly respectful, but I'm super mindful now and will make comments about where you stand, where you provide some tough love. Um, those types of things are big changes. What, what's something that you've seen, um, without naming a, a person or a system, what's something that you've seen, uh, that caught you off guard is just being like wrong at a course like that just either wasn't valuable or was just like out of, um, how do I want to put this? I don't want to like, uh, I got a perfect one. Oh yeah. Hit us. Hit us then. I won't put names out there. No, um, please don't. But teaching hands on manual therapy or manual manipulation, um, to a room full of, coaches that don't have the licensure to do so. Oof. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a um, hot button issue at one 
one um, conference and kind of um, more one of my coaches confronted them about like the legality of it and the response which is complete and utter bullshit was since trainers don't have a legal scope of practice we could do whatever we want what which, which was like no and and at the time like like some of the stuff was all right whatever but then he the, the presenter started doing um like soft tissue manipulation using, I think he was using a lacrosse ball of psoas. And I was, and we kind of looked at each other and we're like, no, that's one, that's not how you get into that muscle. And two, it is a, probably one of the most sensitive muscles to, to work on. And when you, one, when you know you hit it, so does the person you're working on. And they can't move, talk, do anything because it's that hypersensitive of a muscle. Mm hmm. So I think that was the one thing that kind of blew me away and that I was like, this probably isn't the best thing to be teaching. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I know I, I, I don't have like, any, and that's like a hot button issue for, for me, like trainers putting their hands on clients and neither like a trying to do some sort of like manual manipulation or stretching or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't mess. I, I'll do some hands on cueing, you know, in terms of, but I always ask permission first, even at the courses I'll have, I'll give everybody the opportunity to raise their hand and be like, Hey, are we all comfortable with professional hands on cueing from everybody in the room? Cause you know, it is an instructor cert, but I'll be, you know, I'll set some parameters and I'll also let them know that if you're not comfortable with that, that is totally fine. Just let us know. Um, and inevitably everybody raise their hands cause you know, everyone generally wants to at least experience what that either approach is, but it's not manipulation from like a massage therapist point of view. Yeah. At all. They think that's where it gets dicey. I've only had like, I, I've been very fortunate. I, I, I'm trying to think I haven't had per se, like a really negative course experience. I've had a, a couple that were maybe one was redundant and one didn't fit the, fit the room. Like I, I had a barbell in service and, you know, they were, they were talking about how to, how they would have people set up, you know, for, for the members and it was true powerlifting. So it was like heavy arch on the bench press, um, you know, back squats and it just doesn't fit our, didn't fit the population at all. And it was like a staff in service. So it was like, why pretty much as soon as it ended, like, yeah, if we we're going to powerlift, that was great. But we're not doing that here, so we could pretty much forget about a lot of what that was. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about this at dinner a little bit. I, I went to a seminar once where one of the speakers, you know, gave a, gave a presentation on content that was basically like, you could have taken, and, and I know this is tricky because it's how you voice it, but it, it, it was like a, the curriculum was straight out of the old RKC2 um, and a little bit of FMS somewhat presented as if it was some unique game changer uh, of approach. And it was just like, guys, like that's the same thing. And, you know, it's like when people blow up the world about how amazing arm bars are as if they've invented arm bars or something, it's like they've been part of the RKC and the FMS 
two for years now. And I'm not claiming like RKC. Guys, I'm saying, yes, Strong First uses them too. The RKC was there around longer. So like that's where most of us heard of them first. And I just think sometimes, and I know I struggle with that when I put together a course, like the Indian club thing I taught in Taiwan. I'm like, I'm basically using like how I coach and cue similar things that I learned from like Ed Thomas and Brett Jones and Dragon Door and those guys. Because um, at a certain point, like a hinge is a hinge uh, and how you cue it is differently. But sometimes it's like, wow, that's like fucking verbatim bait them out of the yeah. manual and you just sort of uh, you sometimes catch people copy and pasting little elements like and that's yeah. sort of like it's not that they're it's a bad thing per se because it's being exposed to new people i i just for me if i've seen it already in another course i'm like ah i could have gotten some i could have made better use of my time you need to give credit where credit's due if you're gonna do that you need to go in and be kind of transparent with the group you're in front of and say, Hey, I didn't come up with this. I got this from blank. And I kind of took what I liked about that concept and kind of tweaked it a bit to make it my own, but this is not an original. Like if I go into something, I'm like, this is, this is not a Chris Cooper concept. I got this from blank and I've kind of tweaked it to match what I need. And, and for that, it's like, I think that's totally, not only is it acceptable, that's what we all, basically that's what everyone's doing. You know, I think there's few true groundbreaking programs. You know, if you looked at the original RKC and what Pavel, uh, you know, put together, um, you know, back then, we didn't have anything like that in the States, right? If you look at what Josh has done um, with the ultimate sandbag like nobody was creating a sandbag that worked that way or programmed that way and so that is one thing that's totally you know whereas with os like you can see overlaps with other things you know it, with os but it's how it's put together it's what's prioritized it's the approach that stuff and i think that's totally acceptable as long as you're given you know you give give things where they're due i know if, you know i've done a, a die mighty in service and i want to do a die mighty workshop one day didn't happen last year um, but it'll be a combination of all the things I teach. Cause like people are starting to ask me like, how do I put program all of these things together? So it's not just like a freaking mess, you know, uh, it, it makes sense to me, but how do I verbalize that? You know, and what's my philosophy? How do I, how am I taking these things in these systems and then approaching them to people, you know, or applying them to people? Well, it's your, it's your system of how you coach and how you program just using certain tools yeah these things well these th these tools and systems though have made my training philosophy and it's like they switch what's the hierarchy of what i'm using in the moment in terms of like what's the priority you know like and so it's not just is this time for a kettlebell or is this time for sandbag it's like how is this person moving and where can we progress it you know dvrt certainly has had a massive impact on me in terms of like the loaded aspect of it and then os in terms of the reflexive uh strength stability side of it you know kettlebells with hard style and then the need for tension so it's like this weird mix um that's sometimes hard to discuss but makes total sense and seems to suit the people i train really well yeah um now you did a q a you ran a q a with strength faction um sort of as a groundwork of a course you're gonna you're in the process of coming up with what's the what's the subject you're gonna you're looking to build upon uh coaching self-care and avoiding burnout which, which which is definitely something in talking to people that were on the q a like it's i feel like it's a missing component of having a, a long 
lasting career? Because the turnaround is only like what, two years, three years for the average. I think when I started, it was three years. And then someone told me actually on this podcast, corrected me that it's two now. Yeah, it's, it's not long. No. So you need to have some of the, some skills to implement to make sure that you don't kind of flame out and lose your money. Well, there's such a misconception about signing up. I can't remember if this, if you sent me this before or after the podcast, but we were talking about, you know, how people even try to market people to become coaches. And, you know, they're on the New York City subways. If you end up in such a lucky cart, there's like a train cart. I call it a cart, a train cart, train car. There's a, a sign for like, you know, continuing education at some university to become a fitness trainer. And it's like this big, mean looking bald guy. Um, and that, you know, muscular bald guy. And then this, you know, trying to look sexy, you know, attractive woman in a sports bra. And that's how we're viewed there. And then Chris sent me a photo uh, of an ad for get paid to work out. Now, it was either NASM or ISSA. I can't remember, but it popped up on my Pandora as I was, as I was just listening to music. I was like, this is, that's the perception, I guess. Yeah. They try and get people to take their, um, their certification. And folks like what, what, for non-trainers listening, one of the biggest struggles for successful trainers or business owners is actually finding your own training time. Like you're not getting paid to work out. You're getting paid to protect people and make them better. And it's so much more work. The hours are so much more demanding the hour to like the actual activity of the hour. I mean, look, we're not in some ways we're not saving lives like, you know, being in an ER, but in other ways, like lives are in our hands at any moment. Like anybody can get hurt at any moment. Um, so yeah, it's that, that idea. So I know people will ask, you know, uh, at MFF in particular, where it seems like super fun and caring, which it is, but it's also like, we're probably one of the most uh, emotionally draining, really leaving it all out there types of sessions that I've, I've been a part in, uh, a part of, and you know, th- that part's lost, you know, people don't realize like, what, what does that actually feel like to teach at a high you level? Realize it. Three hours of teaching feels like an eight hour day. Um, and depending on the client that you're with, it- it can feel like a lot longer. <laughs> Sometimes you have those single, single folks and it's like, wow, this is, this has been like a time loop, like a three hour. We're back in that Harry Potter time Turner thing where it's like, wow, we're still in the same you're, thing. You're back in um, Dr. Strange going up against Dormammu. <laughs> That's fucking a great way to look at it. And well played for this podcast, Chris. Um, what are your next stages? What, uh, for making this a presentation? Um, I'm comfortable with the material and I'm comfortable with the information that I have. I think it's packaging it into something that flows really well. So I ran, I ran a first run with a uh, personal training uh, course at the Swedish Institute in the city. Nice. And uh, I think it was their, like their third semester students or whatever. So I, I ran like a dry run there with how I thought the framework should go. And I'm kind of glad I did that because the framework that I had going in was completely wrong and kind of all over the place and didn't flow the way I wanted it to. The one that I did for the Q&A is a little bit closer to where I want it to be, where it's going over an aspect of self-care and then going over examples of it and things that feed into like a negative loop. Mm-hmm. of of self-care 
when it comes to each one. So I went over physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, psychological, professional, social, which is a lot. And I felt like as I was going through it, it was I was trying to tackle too many things at once. So it's either a matter of paring it down to essentials. Um, but after getting like some feedback, everybody liked that there was more than than less. So I might stick with what I had. But I think it's it's the flow of it that there it, it's always gonna be like a sort of constant evolution. Yeah. In terms of that. You're gonna learn something new every time you present it. But it was the first thing like and this this might just be attributed to personal professional growth overall but i didn't nitpick things that i didn't touch on or, or things that i missed out on uh like i would in the past if i was teaching like a, a course like oh well i forgot this and this didn't come out the way i wanted it to and i would just hyper focus on the stuff that i didn't do or the stuff that i left out rather than take a look at what people got out of it which is yeah. more important like at the end of the day like if somebody got something out of it and it helped them, then it's a success. Yeah. You, you have to realize sometimes the people, you know, you have to sort of flow with the room sometimes, especially if there's a lot of questions being asked, um, which is you have to read the room and see how it's sticking. And I have to remind myself sometimes that they don't know that they didn't get something. They're going to know what they got. And if that's a great experience and a good takeaway, that's going to be a thing. I've also like, uh, you know, from a, I've had to come to terms too, that sometimes I, I think the overall experience, like how they are going to perceive the overall course of the day is going to be probably a, the biggest takeaway as opposed to a specific content, you know? So in terms of like a system or an implement or a, a talking point, a lot of the times it's like, how well was it delivered? Um, how engaging again, it's like what you talked about in terms of like, controlling room how engaging were you what was the sense of humor like what was the attitude like those are the things that are going to stick more directly and then that'll help with follow through coming back to it uh, I don't mean like just do a song and dance but I know one of the things I'm fortunate with is like people will come and take some of the other you know if somebody comes for me for an RKC and has a good experience there they're more likely to try a DVRT course or an OS course with me because they at least know a, they've built up a trust with me that I've done, you know, oh, well, he really believes in this and I, he, I seem to trust him off of this one, then we'll try this one. Um, when people go through all three things, I should probably play that Henry Rollins song, Fire. The end of it, just like, it's all lies, but it's not. Um, but I, I, it is that experience. And I think sometimes as coaches, especially when we're first starting to teach courses, I know for, it, I got to teach the first DVRT course that wasn't Josh Henkin and I was having uh, James Newman help me out on that. And we were both having like massive imposter syndrome. Like how the hell are we teaching Josh Henkin's baby? Like not as smart as the guy didn't create it, but you just do the U version of it that the curriculum stays true, right? It's not like a completely different manual in any way. Um, but you make it yours and, and coming in a different voice and in, the stuff that you put into it is going to be different than his. And what's really interesting is you'll hear people will say like, Oh, you know, like for me, I, I, I will openly admit, like if it was to take a course with me or Hank in, like, you know, part of me, I would always go like Hank in, like I get it. Sometimes, you know, people want to book courses in this, in New York and they're like, well, we want Dan John to do it. I'm like, I get it. It's Dan freaking John. I get it. 
Um, but sometimes somebody come up to you and you just be like, you know, your voice just sticks, it just resonates. Um, so I want to do it with you. And that's cool. And sometimes, I, you know, I'm well, I'm very well aware that that might be the same voice that turns you away from coming back to me. But again, it's just like with the business and the competition, you know, you find the few people that are going to follow you and that'll grow over time versus just trying to please everyone. You just become like bland. For example, so the other night, Kim and I went out for dinner in Brooklyn and on the way there, this is, I haven't shared this story at all. On the way there, there was a, a, an older gentleman that seemed to be on something with a, a rolling suitcase, you know, like a, a carry-on and a cup of coffee. And two feet in front of us, he literally walked straight into a tree, fell into the street. You know, coffee splashed everywhere. And he's like on his side, somewhat face down in the street. Um, and he starts, you know, tremoring. So Kim and I immediately 911, we make sure he's breathing. We're waiting, we're clearing, make sure because he's, he's, he's in a parking spot. We're making sure nobody's coming in. And, you know, we're just doing the thing, what we have to do. I'm giving as much information as I can, making sure he's breathing, he's going in and out of tremors, not touching him. You know, I'm not applying CPR because he's clearly breathing. And then a young woman, God bless her. Like, I don't want to sound like a diss, but it's just a, a young woman comes by, starts talking to somebody else there while I'm on the phone. And, you know, a few people are starting to crowd, you know, come around. And she, in the coldest, most reading a textbook voice, starts going, okay, nobody should stay around him. Nobody should touch him. Nobody should do this. And so, so I'm just hearing this like robot voice, right, coming out of this, this young woman. And I'm still on the phone and she's starting to ask redundant questions that I'm already, like I'm still talking to the people on the phone. So I'm like, I think there's a doctor here. Let me hand you the phone, you know, the EMT to the phone, to, to this woman that I'm thinking is a young doctor. And she was a lifeguard, not taking anything away from her, but like I've probably got close to the same amount of CPR first aid training as she does. And the robot voice as she was trying to like see if he was okay, probably not as helpful as if somebody that actually just since I'm not saying she wasn't sincere and caring, but it's how you verbalize stuff. Right. And then what I found out was there was actually a doctor walked up and was standing right next to Kim and I, my wife and I, and the reason why he wasn't getting involved is because like he knew we had it. And he noticed that she was just being pushy about the lifeguard thing. She couldn't state it enough that she was a lifeguard. You know, she took his, 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 uh, you know, uh, blood pressure while we were there. And it's like, like he's, he's, he's steady and the ambulance is on the way. And I just think that anything, when you're teaching a course, you could be that type of person, just verbatim curriculum, especially when it's somebody else's curriculum. I've had it happen with people assisting courses sometimes versus like, how are you going to say it? Like, I don't want to hear just what somebody taught you. I want to hear how Chris Cooper explains this. Yeah. I want to hear how, you know, Casey Lee might ask the same question on a podcast as I, he's going to express it differently and he's going to respond differently. Um, so again, woman lifeguard, you were a hero, but like work on your human skills, right? Delivery. Bedside manner, right? Like there was just none. It was like, I am a robot. And it was also a little bit of like, I think this is the moment she's been waiting for her all her life. <laughs> and um, folks, uh, EMTs picked up the guy. Clearly he was on something. We were about seven blocks from a methadone clinic near where Kim and I used to live. Like it's not uncommon there. It's a great neighborhood, but it's not uncommon to see somebody nod out. 
uh, but we made sure he was okay. Uh, and again, she, she, she came in to help, but she also tried to grant, it was jockeying for like a look at me in this situation, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Like, 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 like look at me helping out. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm a hero now. Um, with like her like little brother or boyfriend, I couldn't tell. Anyway. She's using her lifeguard skills. Yeah, which is great. But you know, it's, it's kind of, again, like how technical do you need to be when you do the, bro the big rocks? It's just like coaching. You know, there, there wasn't, you know, blood spilling out anywhere, anywhere. And, you know, it was funny talking with this doctor. He's like, this happened. He works in an ER in Pennsylvania. And he's like, this happens all the time. But it was a little interesting because I did, I had, a, I had a, a, a douche move in a moment where like, it was one of those like three stooges moments, the way he walked into the tree that it was comical for a moment, you know, where you're just like, that just happened. <laughs> you know, the coffee went flying and he went out. I'm guys, I'm not a perfect human being. It was funny for a moment. And then when, as soon as I saw that he wasn't okay, I was like down, like sometimes you're just going to laugh first. And if you think I'm evil and you've ever watched Tosh.0 or ridiculous or ridiculousness or a fail blog, go fuck yourself. Cause you're just as bad <laughs> as I am. Cause those people are the same thing. Oof, potentially worse. Let's how many of those videos we're we watching on happens after the, those where they're getting brutally harmed. So, you know, is what it is. But anyway, applying that to coursework, I have seen people just sort of like regurgitate how they were told as reading from a book versus actually like engaging somebody in conversation. Yeah. And I think that's why I like teaching my own material because it's mine. And, and you know, if I what... borrow from somebody else where it's, it's something that isn't mine, but I make it mine. Um, yeah. If it's my own material, then I feel more comfortable. It and comes down to... It overlaps just with how we talked about people taking certs. It's how you apply it, right? So you have the same information, but how do you apply it versus just re repeating? And I think that's a, that's a hard thing. And that, that, that's a, that, that is a confidence thing. Like you have to grow into that over time. Uh, one of the things that I've loved about this podcast is it's helped me become a better listener. So I can, and certainly that started with MFF, but like having the time talking to you, like making sure that fighting the impact, uh, the instinct to try to find my next question or talking point, as opposed to just letting you finish your talking point. Sometimes we talk over each other because this just happens. But um, anyway, uh, what's the next step for this course then? Um, start booking dates? That's probably the next step. I think I have to get, get it to where I feel comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it, but at the same time, I'm not super comfortable. Just teach it again. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's just repetition at this point. I just have to do it again. Hey, Todd, strength faction seminar. Give him a half day. Go. <laughs> the, the, the Coop and Kirk uh, strength faction seminar. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's that... We're talking about on Friday. Yeah, that's what we're talking about Friday. I think that's like a missing element um, that I think we can help the vets out more as, as part of the curriculum. Uh, and I would be happy to help that. Casey is um, another one right there. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, we got a whole lineup going. I mean, dude, I haven't even thought on that, but I'll stay off of it because I get to teach a... You know, I don't want to... You know, I, I don't sound like a bragging asshole, but I get to teach enough... <laughs> Uh, I think it's good when people get to have a shot up front. I also think it's good for people to, it's like how we, again, it's all overlap with ex, like actually trying something out, how people think sometimes training is so easy as a job. I think people think presenting sometimes, like you got to want to present, like we talked about this podcast, you got to want to do this thing before, you know, jumping all the way in. 
and not doing it because you think it's the next logical step. Yeah, totally. It's got to be something that you, you have to feel like you got to get this off your chest and that it's going to help somebody. Like you have to feel a compulsion to do that and not like an, a, 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 an ego compulsion, like a, I don't know, more of an artistic or uh, altruistic wanting to help compulsion. <laughs> this one is more of don't fuck up like I did. <laughs> but we've all, what's, what's cool about your thing is we all do that. Every, no trainer, I, I've never met a trainer that hasn't felt overworked. I've never felt, I've never met one yeah. or experienced some burnout. Uh, or most of us, at, once we've hit the five-year mark, especially you owner types, critical burnout where it's like, I'm fucking done. I, you know, like those thoughts come in the thing. It's, it's a drain. Um, well, keep us posted on that. Uh, folks, we'll, uh, we'll share that over on the uh, Coach Fury podcast and Coach Fury Facebook pages when Chris sets a date uh, or we get Todd in the Strength Faction game uh, to put the, together a workshop with him and Kirk. Um, one of the things I did want to talk about real quick, because we are going to have to break this one off soon. So we talked a lot about social media last time, and I mentioned this book, The 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts that I was reading. I have to look up right now on my phone the name of the author. Um, I literally just finished it today as my Audible account is asking me to review it. Um, come on. It's not letting me get to the, just the name. All right. I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, but Jaron Lanier. Um, so uh, it reinforced a lot of what I felt was a negative impact of social media. It didn't talk so much on the business side um, in terms of like, you know, we talked a lot about like fitness professionals feeling like this has to be a thing to have a successful training facility or training business. Um, what it did get to in a scary degree is how much social media that he calls it the bummer machine. Um, is literally pitting people against each other and destroying society. And I'll, I'll say this, and I think we realize this to some degree, but especially when it comes to politics, but you know, we generally probably see around the same hundred people in our algorithm in our newsfeed. And that newsfeed is one giant algorithm. It's processing all of our data and all of our information and it's being supplied to advertisers uh, that might not have our best interest. This whole idea, whether or not you believe Trump and the whole Russian thing, Russia was involved. Russia was setting up false accounts and paying for advertising and putting in topics that were then and getting introduced based on these algorithms into people's feeds. So when you get into a political debate with somebody, you have to, we're all thinking everyone's seeing the same feed. You have no idea what's showing up in their actual feed. You just know this one specific interaction or the couple of people maybe you, you notice each other in. And the manipulation of that, and that's one of the reasons why we're not finding middle grounds to even have a conversation about, because someone's getting filled with doom on one side, on the left, and someone's getting filled with doom on the right, and there is no bright light on either one of those fronts. And that's all a newsfeed algorithm that is uh, locked up safer than military sites uh, in terms of hack proofing. And uh, it really was eye-opening for me. Um, now, I'm keeping my account, but I talked about how I wanted to diminish my social media account, and uh, this is New Habit January. It's something I'm doing with the Fury crew. And one of the habits was, uh, I am only gonna be checking my Facebook two to three times a day. Some people might think that's like a ton. Uh, that's probably like 998 times less than I realized I was doing it before. So that's a massive step for me, and I have deleted that in LinkedIn 
uh, off my phone. I still use Messenger because that's how people reach out to me. And I keep Instagram on there because it's, uh, I, A, I don't use Instagram that much. Um, and B, it is another way that people are connecting to me and there's no separate Instagram messenger sometimes. So, and I'm trying to make a more specific divided line between my personal page and my coaching business page, not for the sake of business, but because, but more it's like, if you're going to want to be into fitness stuff with me, go there. This is where I'm going to start doing more of my family and music and movie stuff. Coach your podcast will be the same page. But uh, that was a big action step that I put upon myself and we'll see if it has a negative impact on, on business. I, I'm, I'm not imagining it will, um, but we'll see. But the, the response to the post, again, I don't want to base it off of likes and shit because that's what the bummer machine wants you to do. Um, but a lot of people responded and messaged me, uh, even a couple of private messages about like, I am so with you on that and thanks for verbalizing it. Um, so folks, trainers, uh, I'm going to be a man of my words, take some action on that. And if uh, I'm broke and my business has fallen in a year <laughs> or six months, I'll let you know. But uh, I'm very limited in terms of my social media right now, um, purposely. But I, I am still on it. I'm just, have you ever deleted it off your phone? Is it on your phone, Facebook? Uh, Facebook's on my phone. I have deleted notifications. <laughs> Put that off. Have you? Darling enough. I deleted it once for my honeymoon and then I deleted it again just the other day. And folks, I don't think you'd realize how many times you go to open it, even if it's not there. Mindlessly. And, and it, I'm so grateful that I'm, I'm clearing out that much more mental headspace for it. And you know what? It's actually made it a nicer treat when I do like have to check something or check on a post or a course or share a link. Um, it feels like, all right, that was cool. I got to see like, you know, Coop did this. Josh Hankin just announced a new program yesterday. Uh, I'll share that. Like, that's cool. Happy birthdays. And then I'm off it. And uh, it's already, I'm feeling a difference, but I'm still not out of that habit per se yet. But uh, I, I would highly recommend it. If you're not a direct influencer and your money's not being paid through social media, I don't think anybody needs to have that on their phone unless they don't have a computer. You could wait. Nothing can't wait until after the session and you're home from work or at the beginning of the day. And I would just say that I can't get myself to deal with taking it off my phone. If I was at a desk, you know, all the time I would take it off. I would take Gmail off my phone. By the way, this also says a lot of stuff about Google too. And I, uh, that really sketched me out, but, uh, I feel like people know that email so well, I'm going to roll with that for now. Um, but yeah, just know everything we do, everything we say, everything we respond to is all being processed. Um, and manipulated, uh, not for our benefit. So, this is such a far cry from when it first started. So I'm still, I graduated college when Facebook first came out. So I had to register with a college email. Mm. I think it's still, my account is still technically attached to my college email, even though I don't have access to that. Oh, wow. So I'm still like, I still have the, the view or the experience of it just being strictly college students and it's people that you went to school with. So that, that's, that was the initial intent. And like in the early stages, you couldn't get on without that college email. It's too big now. It's just too big. I mean, it's literally, it's it can sway the world right now. It's, I said like one of the old ones are going to make a comeback and just go back to like, it's roots 
like I was I was training KCAL's sister today and we were talking about about it and, and how it's like a positive but there's also a lot of negative aspects to it and I said like one of the, one of the old ones are going to come back like Friendster's going to come back and re, <laughs> revitalize the market to like connect people in different ways and, and get rid of like the, the business aspect of it that the interesting thing would be, and they mentioned this in the book, he mentions this in the book, is, this, is if you had to pay for Facebook, like you do for Netflix. Like Netflix has algorithms that throw some, but if you had to pay 15 bucks a month and that's how they made their money, it would be a cleaner system than having any sort of advertising. And I think most of us would pay 15 to 20 bucks a month to pay for Facebook. And guys, like if you think about everybody that has a Facebook account that would be willing to do that, um, they wouldn't go broke. It would still be monumental business. Like, like Netflix has like something like a billion accounts. I don't know if that's true at all, but like probably close to a billion account users all paying at least $9.99 USD a month. Think about that. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was one thing they talked about. But, uh, you know, I like the groups that are there. I think that's, a, you know, a great way to have like a little safe space of collectors and, and whatnot. But you know, we, this whole thing now, how I, I, it makes me sick when I go on eBay and I, I try to look for something and it'll be something silly, like a GI Joe thing. I was looking at Henry Rollins posters the other day. And then I go on my Facebook feed and it shows up, you know, uh, I just bought a pair of new sneakers and that shows up not only in my Facebook feed, but my Gmail account now, like everything's being tracked. Uh, and folks, I would hide your FaceTime cameras on your computers when you're not using them. Um, I hate that we have an Alexa. She can hear me say that right now. I'm sure that's being a data point right now somewhere. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Did you hear that? I heard that. Right? Hey, Alexa, do you fart? Did it pick up? I hope. I heard it on my headphones. Did you hear it? No, I didn't hear it. Yeah, it picked up. She let out a long one. I was curious to see if it was going to pick up on mine. <laughs> um, but uh, so we'll see. But folks, if anybody's interested in like sort of hopping on the habit, uh, here, here's all I'd say is try to minimize your Facebook account to two to three times a day and delete it from your phone and comment below uh, on the on the podcast page for this on, on the Facebook and uh, which seems weird, go to the Facebook to comment about how you're not using Facebook. But uh, let us know. And, and, and let, let's see, you know, this, this would be interesting as I think mostly trainers um, are listening to the show. If you feel a lack of business or uh, renewed productivity, because uh, I, I just don't think like, again, like I, I hopped off of this thing. And I'm still getting a bunch of emails now, although it's a little too soon to tell. So anyway, but now they have, they have like um, app blockers too that you can install. I just think a whole reach around, like just, just delete it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really weird. I wish I could go backwards now and it's going to be hard to having the conversations with the kids. Cause you know, it's just such a part of culture now for better or for worse. And I, and I do think long-term it's worse. They talked about too, about, you know, how it's, it's the idea of clickbait and clickbait in conversation. So, you know, uh, it's a human nature to when, when you're faceless, like, you know, which you really are in Facebook when you're commenting on somebody, you don't really know how people just tend to go mean. It's like a, it's like a psychological reality that will, you'll generally people will tend to get mean because it gets more attention. And if you're lonely, like you're going to want more attention and how many blogs 
have you heard, you know, or read that, you know, have some clickbaity title that's just like negative out the gate. And then the rest of the topic might be like all rainbows and sunshine, but they use something negative just to get you to watch it. And that, that's really weird. Well, we have now spent a lot of time together in the last week and it was wonderful, but it's time for me to eat before my next set of sessions. And I know you had to go soon too. Yeah. So is there any final parting words, Chris Cooper? No final parting words. No. Um, folks, uh, check out Chris's workshop when it comes out, it'll be on the podcast page, follow his website on the Instagrams and the Facebooks, uh, but only, but only two to three times a day. Don't, don't do it all the time and, uh, keep in touch and, and let us know. I think, uh, the stuff that we talked about on this one, if you're interested in becoming a presenter, you know, let us know if this sparked any ideas. Um, we can probably go more in depth at another time. Uh, and then uh, the social media thing for me is very fascinating as well. So listeners, thanks. Chris, can you tell them to die mighty again? Listeners, die mighty once again. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on and taking the time, brother. Thanks, Ray. Uh, everybody, hey, have a good 20, 2019. Um, I think it's time. I think we're, we're due. Uh, but then also putting in perspective that even if you're 2018 kind of suck, you probably still had a pretty solidly great life. Um, sometimes we just need to take stock in that. And uh, thanks for listening. Love you. Bye. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glenngurrieta.com, that's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A, or follow him on Instagram at glenngurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.